I would imagine you could guess the topic of today's show. Election results are mostly in, maybe not the top of the ticket. We can learn a lot from it. I have a ton to say. So stick with us for this week's Corey Act show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening. Up, I actually have the result you've all been wanting to know, the, the result of the race that was maybe the most important. Yes, indeed, the city of Denver voted to revoke their ban on pit bulls. And I know you were all wondering if that was going to be the case. I know I was wondering. It was hotly contested because, of course, pit bulls shouldn't be banned. They always look like they're smiling. And we shouldn't ban dogs that always look like they're smiling. I'm just kidding, guys. I will take the election more seriously. But let's at least start with some frivolity. My name's Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to the show on his radio talk on Saturday mornings or Saturday evenings at 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Or wherever you find the podcast, I am grateful that you do. It has been a great month for the numbers. So thanks for listening and thanks for sharing the show with others. And for those of you who support, support the show financially, thank you for that as well. I also get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday morning in Greenville, South Carolina. We've had quite a few new families visiting here lately, and you are invited. We are uh, always honored by your presence when you stop in. Let's do this. As I'm talking to you, it is 2.52 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon. So as this airs on Saturday morning, for all I know... For you terrestrial radio listeners, something will have settled that I don't know yet. So keep that in mind. Here's my first takeaway from a... Oh yeah, I had one more thing I wanted to say. I can't wait to stop talking about this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great when I get to play you clips from sermons again. And there's other stuff in the news. It's going to be so fun. But this is what we're going to do. Because that's what the whole world is about right now. Okay. Number one takeaway. There's good news for everybody. For every persuasion of person, there's good news. We don't have to be cantankerous and always focus on the negative things that you didn't want to happen in a given election. I mean this. No matter who you are, you can, ha- you can find some encouragement from, from the evening. If you're, out, if you're out on the left and you really are hesitant, reticent, you're, you have some fear around Republican governance. All right, well, Nancy Pelosi is going to be Speaker of the House. If you are out on the right, the, I, I, I said on the show, I'm almost embarrassed. I said on the show weeks ago, we, of course, Democrats are, uh, excuse me, Republicans are going to lose some seats in the House. Nancy Pelosi is actually going to have a, a bigger hold on the House by maybe 10 seats. Looks like the Republicans won 10 seats, but she's still Speaker of the House. Maybe the best news for everyone, we're going to have divided government, no, what? Uh, no matter what. And if you're not familiar with that term, I don't mean divisive government, like antagonistic government. We historically call when the different branches of government are controlled by different parties, that's divided government. I don't mind divided government. It means, typically, nobody can hurt the other side too badly, so everyone has a bulwark, has a defense against the other side, so we can minimize anxieties around the fears that people have of each other. And it also slows stuff down. The only thing both parties do, and they do it it together with regularity, is run up the debt and go to war. 
doesn't matter on those two things. Republicans run up debt and go to war. Democrats run up debt a little faster and go to maybe a few less wars. But they both do those things together. So divided government means, for example, if uh, if Joe Biden wins the thing, and he, he might have won it by now, for all I know, uh, when you're listening to this on Saturday morning, he can't pack the court. He can't do a Green New Deal. He can't socialize medicine. He can't even get a public option through divided government. Not, not like this. You think Mitch McConnell's going, going for that? And uh, if Trump wins, whatever it is that you fear of him policy-wise, was well, not getting that. Not through Nancy Pelosi. I find some comfort in divided government. And I think that is good news for everybody. Everyone knows they have some federal government, government bulwark against what someone else might do, uh, what the, uh, the other side might do. It's, it's also a good reminder. It, it's obvious that we've empowered the federal government too much, that we feel like we need bulwarks against the barbarians at the gate because here I am in South Carolina and I could be so directly affected by decisions being made hundreds of miles away from me that affect 330 million people. But I digress. So divided government is good news. If you're out on the left, Nancy Pelosi is speaker. Democrats hold the House. That's good news. If you're a conservative person, well, uh, what are they called again? Republicans? They picked up uh, some seats in the House. They kept the Senate. And Democrats, you guys won two seats. Uh, it's going to be a net, a net of one. Yeah, it'll be a net of one. After the Georgia, uh, what are they called, runoffs? The Georgia runoffs happen. It'll be 52-48 Republican in the Senate. Right now, it's 53-47. So, Democrats, you picked up a seat. You can feel good about that. Republicans, you can feel good because Mitch McConnell's going to be, uh, uh, what, uh, well, he'll be, called, he'll be majority leader again, right? And then, uh, in particularly, those states uh, for Democrats. You know, Arizona loses one of those Republican Senate seats. It was lost in Arizona. In 2016, Arizona had a Republican governor and two Republican senators. Both senators are now Democrats, and I think the governor's now a Democrat. We're going to talk about that more later as, as to why that might be. Other good news. In a census year, because we just had the census in 2020, that's a redistricting year, Republicans expanded their control of state legislatures. So Republicans are still going to be in charge of state legislatures in states like Pennsylvania. This is good for redistricting purposes. There, and ultimately, uh, I'll go ahead and say this early. I, I, I need this for everybody. I'm trying to make everyone feel good here, but I, I think you're going to enjoy this episode more if you do allow yourself to turn off your emotions a little. Because I am going to, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be super factual and with less sensitivity than I sometimes have. And so... Let's, if you turn off, I promise, if you turn off your visceral reactions to things for what I'm about to say, you, um, you'll have more fun on the show today. I expect Joe Biden is going to win the election. I, if it's not done by Saturday, I think in the coming weeks that there's not enough votes to recount in Wisconsin that could change that state for, uh, for Trump. And by losing Arizona, that was really the decisive factor so the way I'm looking at it right now, I think Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States. And so for folks on the left, well, you got what you wanted. You've, you've, vanquished, you've, you've vanquished the president. 
there's lots for everybody to feel, feel, feel good about. And I, I, maybe I open even with some of the other good stuff for folks on the right, because, yeah, I think Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States. But I already said to you, what's he going to get through Mitch McConnell? What, what, I mean, yeah, there's consequences. I don't downplay that. There's consequences to Joe Biden being president of the United States. Same way there's consequences to Donald Trump being president of the United States. But in a divided government system, he can't hurt you. Not a, not a ton. And for that matter, you know, think about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is so much less of a radical than Barack Obama. Barack Obama is an America-hating radical. Joe Biden was actually doing messaging towards the end of the campaign that tried to say that he, hey, America's good. We, we should love America and then get together and go from there. Now, granted, standing behind Joe Biden and the people who would make up his cabinet are a bunch of insane radicals. A Treasury Secretary Elizabeth Warren, a Labor Secretary Bernie Sanders is utterly, utterly insane ideas governing the country. I'm admitting that. But when you just think about existential threat to your liberty, your property, your life, your freedom... We got, we're, we're fine. It's, it's, it is going, like I've, I said that leading up to everybody, like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If I'm wrong and Donald Trump ends up winning this thing, hey, it's, it's going to be okay. He can't, he can't do anything to you. Nancy, Nancy Pelosi's got the house there and it's going to be marginal policy changes. And so at that point, it's up to us to decide how much we're going to let the happenings of Washington, D.C. dominate our minds and dominate our emotions or are we going to go back to our families and our jobs and our schoolwork and our, uh, in our neighborhoods and find some meaning, imbue some meaning in that instead of pulling it out of Washington, D.C.? Because I say, you know, they can't hurt you. Biden can't hurt you. Trump can't hurt you in divided government. They can annoy you. They can do some things to marginally change your life. But you're in charge of your life. If your life's going to change, Joe Biden's not going to do it. It's not going to be Donald Trump. You're in charge of your life. You're responsible for you. And so while they can do some marginal things, in the situation we're in, neither one of them can hurt you. And that's good. So I started to, uh, what's a better way to start that? It's even a, a situation if that's where we end up, if it ends up being a Biden presidency with a Republican Senate in a Democratic House, even the, that, that state of the race, that state of being is so stable because I checked the 2022 map, so the, the midterm map, it's so favorable to Republicans. We're, we're talking, uh, they're going to have to defend a seat in North Carolina. That's, there's a retirement. Uh, Richard Burr, I think his name is. He is retiring, but they've got a great candidate, Pat McCrory. He was, I believe, uh, he was mayor of Charlotte during its big boom. And he, he's very popular. They'll, they'll have a great time there. It'd be easy to do. Um, there's a, a race in Pennsylvania that Republicans have right now that they could lose. But there's some opportunity for uh, even some pickups, possibly. But just the, the state of being there would be so stable for four years. I, and I love stability. I love predictability. The, you, know, you know, this is another sign that I, as I sit, sit here the day after the election talking, I, I can tell that the anal, analysts are, are where, I, where I am too because Wall Street is nuts today. Like, people are getting back into the market despite concerns around COVID because there, there was, in that election, stability given. 
knowing that nothing radical is going to happen, even if Biden's president. Nothing insane is going to happen. And so stability gets restored, some kind of normalcy possibly, and if that's the if that's the case, and if Trump wins, well, we Wall Street loves that too. And so I'm just saying, there is good news for everybody, and we should embrace the good parts, knowing that you had some parts I'm sure you didn't like coming out of that. And I, last night, um, I woke up to not surprise. Actually, I said to you guys, if any audience was prepared, it would have been you. I said to you maybe four or five times leading up to this, and if you follow me on social media, I was saying it there, be okay with not knowing. Remember Florida 2000. I remember doing that on the show. It took 19 days to figure it out. And so I, I woke up not surprised by where we were, but thinking generally, because I knew the Senate was in hand, hey, everybody, that thing I said, that it's all going to be okay, now in a, in a very tangible way, it's going to be okay. Now, when we come back, there are some things we can learn. Very interesting data and information coming out of this election as well. So again, I'm going to be fairly academic. And so if I can encourage you to, uh, if we can take off the, the, the right side of our brain, the, the emotional side, we're going to get super academic with information. Some of it will make all of you uncomfortable because I have an audience of varying ideologies. And then some of it will be very heartening for everybody. So lots of information to interpret from the election when you come back for the rest of The Corey Act Show. It is going to take you forgetting who Donald Trump is to enjoy this part of the show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find the podcast. Thank you. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me. You will find me there. It is super easy to do, and I hope you will. I'm going to say things now that might sound flattering to the president or and then sometimes unflattering. And so for you to enjoy this, if you hate the guy or don't, or you're like you really, really, really love the guy, you have to turn that off just to take in and soak in the information I'm about to give you. So let me encourage you to do that. Here is from, here is where, where, from whence? Here's the information I have and from whence it came. Real, real clear politics collected quite a few exit polls. And so here are some things that we found. And I, here, part of the, the Trump language here, I, 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 I need this to be academic for this reason. Believe it or not, Donald Trump goes away at some point. And I still got to be here for 40 something years. I assume I'll live here for those 40 or some odd years unless the Lord calls me elsewhere. And so there are things to understand from the data that doesn't have to do with Donald Trump. It has to do with another election that's going to happen in 2024 and another one in 2028 and another one in 2032 because we like the world keeps spinning, right? And so we have to learn what we can. And there are some interesting things we learn outside of the personalities. Number one. Donald Trump got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. I expected that for this reason. I was seeing the like, people like people like me who didn't vote for uh, Donald Trump in 2016. I saw a lot of folks who were in that category like me coming back to their normal political home. I ended up just to admit, I, I ended up leaving the top of the ticket blank. 
So my voting history for president is now uh, Bush in 04. It went Bush, McCain, Romney, Evan McMullen. That's who I voted for in 2016. And now for the first time ever, just didn't vote in the presidential election this time around. But a lot of people like me from 2016 were coming back. And so he increased his vote total to, to, this, to the extent that, like, I, I thought Joe Biden would win the popular vote nationally by a broader margin than Hillary Clinton, and that's not what happened. He increased his coalition. This is actually quite odd for reelects. Uh, for example, Barack Obama won a 65 million votes in his reelection. 65 million. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering this right. You can Google it. I, I'm, you can fact check me if I'm off a little bit. I don't think I'm off. Actually, I don't think I'm off at all. He got 65 and some odd million votes for his reelection. But his first election, he had 69 million and some odd votes. He lost 4 million votes and won re-election. So it's a, this was an increase in votes. It's actually an, an oddity for a, a re-elect campaign. That was, a, I think, weird, but something I expected because I, I knew he would get back Trump would the maybe the more normal conservative coalition. Weird piece of data here. His share of the vote when it comes to demographics. You you compare his 2016 share of the vote by demographic to his 2020 run. Donald Trump dropped in only one category. White men. He won white men by a larger margin in 2016 than he did in 2020. Joe Biden got into his white men category. And it's, it might end up being what cost him the election, by the way. That, that's the one group he lost with. But he made inroads. He increased his vote share with literally every other group. Black men, black women, Hispanic men, Hispanic women. He increased his vote share with young people, uh, urban ur- urban environments, suburban environments. Uh, so it's a incredible stat that he just had this one demographic group that he he dropped in. It's also historic margins for my, minority voters. I have said for I'm, I'm wrong now, I've been proven wrong, but I said for years, if Republicans could just get to 15 or 20 percent of the black vote, Democrats will never win an election again. This, the, the, the fact that Democrats get 99% of, the, of 15 to 16% of our population is, uh, is a problem for Republicans to, to win. And I, I, again, I've been doing this for a long, guys, a long time, guys. I've been doing this since 01. And I remember, I'm doing this from memory, so you can fact check me again, but I believe I'm right. In 2000, for the Bush-Gore election, it was like, I think it was 10%. 10% of the black vote was Bush. I think he gets up to 15% in 04. But then McCain and Romney are down in the single digits. And then up out of nowhere in 2016, Trump got like 20% of the vote. And this time he got like 26% of the black vote. And when you get to the Hispanic numbers, he in some states he's up in the one-third range. And I'm going to talk about realignment in a minute. Actually, we'll, we'll go ahead and go there now. That's, that's huge. That there, Historically, if you would have told me, Republicans, so forget about Donald Trump for a minute, Republicans are going to start winning 
20% of the black vote and a third of the Hispanic vote, I would be thinking, oh, so Democrats aren't winning elections anymore. Okay, well, that's weird. I would have never, never expected that. But then we are actually seeing Joe Biden very well might win this thing, probably will, despite those numbers from Trump. So what happened? Well, we are witnessing this really interesting thing if you can just look at it academically. We are witnessing an odd realignment over the last 20-ish years of American politics where college-educated white people were a Republican stronghold. You look back at the 2012 numbers, Mitt Romney crushed Barack Obama with college-educated white people. That's, that's a Republican group, often because college-educated also means people with some money, people with some means. And so they have economic interests that align with Republican policy regarding taxes. And because they have business interests, they have interest in having less regulation and then want capital gains taxes to be lower because they have investments. So white college-educated people have been a Republican stronghold. And they are running from Republicans now. Or more accurately, maybe accurately, they're running from Donald Trump now. That's a possibility because I want to come back to that. I'll do it now. Uh, the Now we're in like a hobby horse for me. So now I'm, I'm giddy because I get to talk about theory and uh, and political theory. There's a chance that this white, the the white college educated group. It's just a Trump thing. He's just so distasteful. He's just so gross. Like even with me, I'm just so embarrassed by him. He embarrasses me. There's some chance that that group isn't gone from Republicans forever. It's that Trump revolted them. They're repulsed by him, and so they. They went, they went blue, they went Biden, they went Democrat because of the Trump effect. Consider this for a second. If you can actually get Mitt Romney's coalition, that, that suburban, white, educated group, plus 20% of black voters, 30% of Hispanic voters, that's, that's just called an enduring co- coalition. That's not dominance, but it sure is winning a whole lot. Like that's, that's a real winning coalition if someone can come along and do it. If someone can come along, and uh, I've got a name for you, uh, who, who can come along and take Mitt Romney's people and combine them with a growing group of minorities willing to vote for Republicans. That person, by the way, is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley endorsed Mitt Romney in 2012. She has the, she has the business acumen and, and interest. Uh, to, those folks like her. Um, I mean, she, she even turned into a New Yorker for a while, right? She was living on the east side of Manhattan at the UN. She's in with that group. She's in with that Wall Street group. And then she actually is an ethnic minority and a woman who speaks the language of growing up in a black and white world when she was a brown woman. She speaks the language, knows what it's like. Like She could be the standard bearer of that coalition and move on. And I, I, hope, I hope it is. I mean, she's disappointed me in some ways, but I hope that might be. So I, I look at that phenomenon of white educated folks moving Democrat and minorities starting to move Republican and ask the question, well, well, why? As as much as I think I can explain that white college educated thing being largely Trump revulsion, what explains minorities coming over at larger numbers? For all I know, it is some kind of Trump effect. Like, we do know uh, Donald, Donald Trump was like featured years ago in a lot of rap videos. Like he was, 
he was supposed to be like the quintessential thing you, you want to achieve, like a bunch of money and a bunch of women. And so he was, I mean, Donald Trump's life is a rap song, or at least it was. A ton of money and a ton of women. A, a ton of nasty living. That's He was a, a rap lyric, right? I don't think that's it, though. I'll start with Hispanics. You know what Hispanics are at lar- largely? Very religious. Quite Catholic. And when you become the standard bearer for defending the practice of your religion, and not just defending the practice of religion, looking at people who hate your religion. Because let's be clear about the Democratic Party. Their platform and their attitude towards religious people, they are, I'm talking about revulsion, Trump revulsion, they're revolted by people like me. They think people like me are disgusting. That you believe those religious things, and that you would say them in public, and that you would hold to them, they're revolted by people like me. And so I think that's a big part of it. I think something in part religious is happening here because you know who the most secular people in the, in the country are? White educated, college educated people. They are, I think, probably even looking at Republican Party being the party that is religion friendly. Like we actually like religious people. That's a group that we don't despise and we don't think they're stupid and rubes. And they look at that group, that religious group, and I go, I don't want to be associated with that. And so Democrats become the option because secularism is a religion. They see Democrats are the people that don't like religious people, and they get to go be secular with them. I think that's part of it, and I think that might be part of it in black voters too, that there is uh, minority people tend to be more religious, and when you start seeing a party hate you for it, maybe opens up some other issues to consider. For, for that matter, family values. This is one of the strengths of minority communities. They're, I mean, we, we have serious problems of fatherlessness in, in minority, racial minority communities, but the values are preached. The values are taught. And it is then Republican politicians who talk about those things fondly that speak that language. It, it's not, it's not even like the left is neutral. They have the language of denigrating that idea, denigrating the idea of a traditional nuclear family. They make fun of it. And I think that's what's happening. I think minority people with some religious inclination are having that drive them towards Republican voting. I, 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 could, I could be wrong. So that's part of the realignment. I, th- I had a couple points about how the country is realigning before our eyes, and it's odd. So that's one. Uh, white, uh, edu- white college-educated folks moving more to the left and minority folks moving more to the right, or at least Democrat and Republican if you don't like left and right language. Then the actual map. North Carolina and Georgia being contested as they were, and it's only going to get more contested. Like, I I've, I very much would put now North Carolina as a swing state. It is no longer a lean a lean Republican state. It is a true swing state. Georgia's still a lean red state, and I think Republicans have thought this was the case for a long time because of immigration, that Hispanic immigration to those states is what has caused them to go bluer and bluer, that's had a small effect, but again, Republicans are making inroads in minority communities. The effect in North Carolina 
in Georgia is the outflow of people from poorly run states. Democrats leave California, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and they move to Charlotte and Atlanta. They move to Raleigh-Durham in that research triangle, and they make those states blue. At, At some level, it actually feels like California is almost doing this on purpose. They're not doing it on purpose. But it feels like California is running their state so badly on purpose to export Democratic voters. It's such a heavily Democratic state, and it's run like a garbage heap that they, as people started leaving, they moved to Colorado first. And Colorado, previously a fairly red state, is now solidly blue. They moved out of California, moved to Arizona, a state that was solidly red, now trending towards being a true swing state. Moving out of moving out of California, folks go to Texas, and moving Texas into a lean Republican state from year to year. And so this map realignment, in some large, in some large way, can be attributed to badly run Democrat states exporting their voters to red states. And then what's happened then is because the folks that are mobile, the people who can move, tend to be people of means. They have some, they have enough of, uh, enough of a living to move out of where they are to another place. And then what that leaves behind is this other odd realignment. The Democrats have been making hay for a, a century of being the party of the little guy. You know, because Republicans are aligned with big business and Wall Street and the banks and that's the Republicans and Democrats are for the little guy. But it's, it's now been two elections in a row that middle class, working class people break big for the Republican. They broke decently well for McCain. They didn't break for Romney because I think Romney gave off that feel that how could Romney be for the little guy, right? And so that leaves behind Ohio only getting redder. So they, you raise your kids in Ohio in a fairly swing state to Democratic state, and they leave Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati. I just got very Baptist on you and gave you an alliterated outline of C's, Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. And they go to Charlotte and Atlanta and make those states different. But who they leave behind? They went, to, they went to college at Ohio State, right? And they, they got that degree, and they became whatever they became somewhere else, and that leaves behind just the working-class folks of Ohio to make that state redder. Pennsylvania, I thought, would never be a swing state, and I don't think it's unique to Trump. That's a realignment we're seeing as folks that went to Penn State and went to their college systems and then left those states that tax them too much and it's too expensive to live there and their property taxes are insane, rents are nuts, they start leaving and coming to Georgia and North Carolina to make them quite competitive. But then that makes those Midwestern states competitive. So we might be in a situation here where we're trading. You trade Pennsylvania for Georgia. Or you trade Pennsylvania for North Carolina. North Carolina, now typically going to go blue, I guess. Pennsylvania becoming more Republican. It's just It should be interesting. Just an interesting academic study to watch realignments happening before our eyes with racial groups with income groups, with the, the map itself, geography, with education groups. There's an interest, there's just something to, to chew on, to consider, at least for people like me. I love stuff like that. Just love look, looking at that kind of data and that movement and assuming that it's not just this present. And I don't think it is. I think we're seeing a pattern before us, in part because of this. Joe Biden likes to call himself middle-class Joe, right? 
and he did okay. I mean, he, he did better than Hillary did with working class people, the living paycheck to paycheck people, but Trump got him pretty good on that group. Hence, that group used to be so solidly democratic. Oh, yeah, that was the other one. So um, those, are the, those are the realignments we're seeing. Educational attainment, income level, racial groups, and then religious, because I think that's the driving, the driving force. I think for those minority groups, or at least some big chunk of that, is being driven by how the left treats religious people and religious ideas. All right, when, I, when we come back, I, I want to explain to you why why I think Biden is going to win this election and how that is not disaster. It may not be ideal for the majority of my audience. It's not ideal, but it's not a disaster. I know I've covered some of that, but I want to flesh that out some more. And we'll actually, I want to talk about what that might look like. So we'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. You might be asking yourself, Corey, is that a Christmas song you're playing? Is that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? Well, yes. Yes, it is. And I'm not sorry, all right? 2020's hard, and so I'm going to get into Christmas music early and with no apology for it. Okay, now, the scenario we're in is we do election analysis, and maybe soon I can stop doing election analysis and talk about stuff that makes me happier. The scenario that I think we're in, I am basically positive that... Donald Trump is going to win Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia. I'd be very comfortable putting money on that. And if he did, if he is, if he's the winner of those three, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, it would put him at 268 electoral college votes. You need 270 to win. And then I think he'll lose Michigan. And oh wait, I was scrolling as I was talking, and Wisconsin has been called for Joe Biden, uh, which I totally expected. Wow, okay. Well, that happened, quote, live on the show as I was doing it. Uh, so if you get to what I just said, so uh, that's Biden, excuse me, Trump winning Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and then Biden winning Nevada and Wisconsin, as I just said, in Michigan. He ends up with, sometimes I say things and they come across as, like I'm exaggerating. I'm, what I'm about to say, I mean denotatively. I mean very literally, mathematically, the thing I'm about to say. It would be the thinnest margin that is possible. He would win 270 votes, exactly 270, and Trump would be at 268. There is, I guess, still some chance, some folks are thinking that Trump might win one district in Maine. I think there's still some chance of that, which would make it 269 to 269, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I suspect we're about to have a... A Biden, uh, a Biden presidency, and then we're going to have a, a McConnell Senate and a Pelosi House. And that, that scenario for me, while it might not be ideal for everybody, it, as I started with the show, it's not a disaster for human freedom. And that's my big, my, my big motivation. My big motivator is, how are we going to get the most people to be free? Freedom is is my goal for everybody because I love people. People are awesome. And people have the agency to make their lives for themselves. That's the dream of America is unleash freedom and people will do incredible things. And while Joe Biden will be more restrictive, he, he would definitely regulate the 
energy industry and cost us some money. Probably going to get a tax increase and cost us some economic growth. He, th- th- those things will hurt people. Those things will hurt the lives of normal folks. But so the big, the big stuff, he just, he just won't get. I know I did this at the beginning of the show, so I'm not going to do a ton. I just want people that are mostly on the right. That's the, that is majority of my audience. Don't freak out. They can't hurt you. Not with McConnell where he is. And if they do something blatantly unconstitutional, there's at least five votes on the Supreme Court to declare it unconstitutional. Those things that is mentioned aren't technically unconstitutional. They can raise your taxes. They can regulate business. They can regulate uh, the, the energy sector. But the stuff they really want to do, come after your religious liberty, come after your, your Second Amendment, come, come after your, your free speech and how you express yourself uh, on, online or in person, they can't do any of that, right? So we're good. Everything's fine. We can have calm demeanors and move forward, not just from the Christian perspective that God is sovereign and uh, he, he, he wills what he wills, but in a, also day-to-day life functionality. You can go back to your life. You can focus on what's happening around you because they can't hurt you. All right. Well, actually, I guess one more thought. I, I, I should admit, be transparent with the audience to my microphone. I do love my microphone, and I like to say true things into it. If that is where we end up, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go and say it. Some of you are going to hate this. I will feel some relief to be gone, to have, just have, have Trump gone he's exhausting and and embarrassing and if he sticks around and he ends up winning that's 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 okay i mean i'm still going to be exhausted by him from day to day i'm exhausted by a 70 year old man who tweets like he does and behaves like he does i'm exhausted by him and and embarrassed but so that's fine too that's that's an okay route and i know a lot of you want that I'm just admitting my own emotions. My own emotions are, if I know that the left can't hurt me, that their predatory nature, their confiscatory nature, their censorious nature, they can't hurt me, and I can just be rid of this really poisonous person, I'm not going to mind it. And it just makes me start thinking, I mean, at least politically, I'm not going to immediately jump there because I have other things to do. I have a job. I have nephews I love. I have nieces I love. I have, I have a nephew that just got a, a permit to drive. He's driving around by himself now. I've got life to live, you know? So I'm not immediately thinking about it, but you know, I think he, he goes away, and I get to think, start thinking about 2024 presidential elections. You know how exciting it is to think, that it could be like Nikki Haley and Marco Rubio, maybe Scott Walker makes a return. Like Republicans had their greatest field, the biggest bench of uh, of talent I'd ever seen, and then Donald Trump sweeps in and ruins the whole thing by winning less than forty percent of the total vote in the primary, and now all these very talented people that I have ideological alignment with, who are decent human beings. That's fun, guys. Come on, I can say that out loud and not be a conservative heretic, Republican heretic. I'm not a Republican at all, really, but like that's, that, that's okay. I'm not, I, I have some relief in that, if that's where we end up, knowing they can't do that terrible stuff they want to do because of the structures we have in place to protect us from each other. Uh, okay, what do I, what, what do I want to do? Uh, let's skip that one. Let's go here. 
hey, this isn't fraud. That's the other thing I wanted to cover. I don't like that that's how, uh, that's how the folks that I enjoy, folks that I like, are calling what hap- what's happening here fraud. There is vote counting. It's taking longer than it should. Some of the rules around vote counting weren't advantageous. And that's just causing it too long. But it's not fraud to count votes that arrived on election day to count them the next day. There does have to be a limiting principle. You can't just keep counting forever. But if something is at the... If there's a stack of ballots there at the polling place or wherever they count votes and you know you, you count through 10,000 of them and tally them up and there's 10,000 more sitting there and it's three in the morning it's totally fine it's, it's not fraud to say all right we're gonna stop come back get, get some sleep come back in the morning and we'll, we'll finish it up it's not fraud now admittedly some of the numbers that coming out of those are shocking uh, the margins for Biden have been shocking sometimes from the, the mail-in and then some of those margins get corrected and you find out that it wasn't correctly reported. Uh, but I think that's important for us to stop saying that it, there's fraud here, unless there's actually evidence of fraud. But counting ballots that were in the building the day of the election, just counting them the next day, because words have definitions, that's not fraud. Next one for me. Interpreting the result. I, I made a point out on social media, and I think I did it on the show, that... If Biden wins, if Biden wins, the left needed to make sure they understood that it was only because of Trump hatred. There is no passion for Joe Biden. There's not even an agenda from Joe Biden. His agenda at the end was, and at the beginning, both the the bookends of the campaign for him was, we are running a campaign for the soul of America. So the question he wanted put forward to the American people is, our character, is the character of the president worth electing. So not a tax policy, not a healthcare policy, not an environmental policy, not a foreign policy. That wasn't the point. And so if Democrats win, it's important to interpret the result properly. The American people aren't clamoring for a Green New Deal. The American people aren't clamoring for socialized medicine. There, there are some American people doing that, but they are not a majority. They are a, maybe, maybe a plurality. I don't even think that. I think they're a minority of people uh, people are clamoring for the government just to take over more of our lives. So even if they get power, again, they don't have they don't have the power to implement that stuff. But it shouldn't be interpreted that way. Now on the right, can you st- can we all stop again with the silent majority stuff? Joe Biden is still going to win the national vote, even if uh, Trump comes back and wins the electoral college. Biden is going to win the popular vote by probably over a million votes. There is no silent majority. That is fa- talk about fake news. That's fake news. It's a thing people should stop saying. And, and then interpret, uh, interpret all of these results. Republicans had a pretty good night. After a 2018 blue wave that was very real, it was a blue wave election, Republicans made quite the comeback. It was, it was a good night. And again, Democrats have reasons to celebrate too. Everyone here has something to, to celebrate. Uh, and so you interpret those results, even if Biden wins the presidency, he's going to win it very narrowly in a country where Republicans did quite well. And so the proper interpretation is, we are a very divided country. Both parties have a high interest to divide us. They want us divided. And the extremes 
tend to win out because of our primary systems. Like we got all kinds of problems. The, the interpretation should just be we are divided, and there isn't an endorsement for an agenda here. So uh, the the what another one? I'm just right now. I wrote some things down before we started. I'm just going through my list because we only have like seven minutes left. There's a lesson here for the left, though. There's consequences to your insanity. The insanity of intersectionality. The insanity of your gender theory. The insanity of your censorious nature being for censorship. Censoring ideas. Trying to shut down speech that hurts your feelings and makes your belly hurt. These are things that sent folks flocking to Trump. I I could never bring myself to do it. But because he was the force against those things... I see why folks would do that because they see you behaving in, in these ways. Like, uh, even, even the, the defund the police stuff with no nuance to it, just defund the police instead of let's rethink policing. Let's see if we can reform policing. But instead, no, we want to defund it. The, I would call the, the radicalism around COVID policy, not the, the measured encouraging people to wear a mask and distance, but hey, let's shut down the economy. Let's just shut the whole thing down. And, and Joe Biden even sounding friendly to the idea of doing it again instead of the, the measured response that is responsible and good. There is a radicalism that there are consequences to. Because I remember this. I said this from 2017. I said, if Democrats can just not be insane, they will wipe Trump away because he was an aberration. He barely beat Hillary Clinton. I mean, he got, he got beat pretty good in the popular vote, and he ended up winning by tens of thousands of votes in three states. It was a very small margin. And I said, the Democrats, if they will just be normal, don't be insane, they'll probably win. But they went insane. They went four years of absolute insanity, and there's consequences to it. So much so that Joe Biden, who had a career of trying to look more normal and even in this campaign tried to look more normal by saying he disagreed with Bernie Sanders on stuff and didn't want to do Medicare for all. Like he had those m- moments of moderation, but he became so attached to that censorious, confiscatory, predatory left. And that cost Democrats, and may not end up cost, costing Biden, but it is going to cost him a convincing win because he's it, I think he's going to win he's going to win quite narrowly you can't call this a mandate he's if he does win he's likely to win by the smallest margin in American history and I think that's largely because the left has gone insane to the point that it's scaring people and they will respond in fear to the way the left behaved two more things one of my big themes going into elections every year is how Everyone can calm down that the next day, no matter what happens, you've got a family to tend to, a household to manage, um, little, little league teams to coach, churches to attend, community centers to, to go to parties at. Like, there's, there's life. You got, life has to go on. This was one of the only times I've had people really, like, respond poorly to that, getting some direct messages from people. that That's not true for everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. No, I... What I said was not controversial. No matter what happens in this election, we all still have lives to go to. This election won't kill anyone. 
in that type of thinking is, as I've talked about, it's religious. It's pagan. It's actually a very pagan thing. It turns the presidency into something like a godlike, something like a godlike figure. Last thought. We need to go and start thinking about this. The one thing Joe Biden will have differently, let's assume he's going to win. I think he's going to. The management of COVID is about to be very different. And I don't know if it's for better or for worse. I do know that the the idea of shutting everything down again is something I, I will oppose hardcore. We're, we don't even like we don't we don't have, we're not even seeing that in totality in, in Europe, like just shutting everything down. But he's talked about stuff like that, and that's the one way that he thinks he can really affect everyone's life is the COVID stuff. And so I think it's important for us to all think it through where we stand and how we will react. I'm going to get into this in an upcoming show, how we will react with policy that is restrictive and COVID is the justification for it. So ruminate on that some. I'm going to talk about it a little bit uh, next week, I'm sure. But that's the one way I think he really can affect our lives because with a Republican Senate, we can all take a breath. Now, in the final minute here, I think that's what I want to end on. Take a breath. 2020 has been hard, guys. Outside of a pandemic, riots, demonstrations, not just riots, but demonstrations, but for a a hard topic, economic meltdown because of how we respond to COVID. This year's, and then an election, a very divisive election. We're almost through it. We're almost at Christmas time. You have made it this far. Take a deep breath and feel, feel grateful for that. The Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. We still have some challenges ahead. And if your preferred candidates didn't win or you're feeling all kinds of anxiety, I want to finish the show saying what I've been saying for months now. We really are all going to be okay. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, peace and love.